What happens when a 12-year-old walking disaster area, also known as a dorkoid, battles a bully at summer camp, or gets cast as the victim of an alien invasion movie, or gets dragged into a hot air balloon, or gets lost in the jungle of a mission field, all while somehow managing to write his own story within a story about superheroes. If you are Wally McDougal, what happens is you get your own middle-grade comedy series from Christian creator extraordinaire Bill Myers. And Bill is today's guest on Fantastical Truth. This is Fantastical Truth, and I am Lorehaven publisher E. Stephen Burnett. This podcast from Lorehaven helps us explore and find the best in Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond, and then we apply the truth, the wonder, the wisdom, the beauties from these stories to the real world that our real-life creator and author, Jesus Christ, has called us to serve. And I'm Zachary Russell, but at Camp Waka Waka, I go by Zach. And this is episode 27, What Wackiness Awaits in the Incredible Worlds of Wally McDougall with Bill Myers. Uh, This is going to be a really fun interview today. And if you are new here, if you're a new listener to Fantastical Truth, we want to ask you to please subscribe to the podcast and get great new episodes with authors about books and really fantastical topics. You can go to our website, lorehaven.com and learn about more Christian-made fantastical books. So Stephen, tell us about our guest today. Well, this is actually an author whose work I have known since I was younger, so it was a real treat uh, to get to speak with him. I actually did the interview with him a couple of weeks ago. Turns out we were both faculty at the virtual SoCal Christian Writers Conference uh, talking about different topics. I enjoyed uh, his teaching there, uh, more geared toward fiction authors and creators of these types of stories. But I grew up loving uh, Bill's Wally McDougall series, uh, which, as you'll note uh, when you listen to the interview, is getting a facelift. The publisher has gone back and given them some new covers for a new generation. And I think they may have uh, polished up the contents just a little bit. Uh, I think uh, Bill says in the interview that, for example, you know, nobody's listening to the Sony Walkman anymore. We may have even skipped past the iPod generations. And maybe the characters all have cell phones now, uh, mobile, uh, mobile devices, who knows. But this is the uh, bio from Bill Myers' website, BillMyers.com. Uh, he does more than just the Wally McDougall series. Uh, he's written some grown-up novels as well. And he was a big uh, creative voice in the uh, McGee and Me VHS and DVD series. Uh, Started off as VHS actually back in the 1980s. So he's been around a while, done a lot of really good stuff. Here's his bio quote. To date, Bill Myers' books and videos have sold over 8 million copies. Not bad for a man who never wanted to be a writer. As author, screenwriter, director, his work has won over 60 national and international awards, including the C.S. Lewis Honor Award. His DVDs and books have sold 8 million copies. His children's DVD and book series, McGee and Me, has sold 4.5 million copies, has won 40 Gold and Platinum Awards, and has been aired on ABC as well as in 80 countries. His My Life As book series has sold 2.1 million copies. He has written, directed, and done voice work for Focus on the Family's Adventures in Odyssey radio series, and is the voice of Jesus in Zondervan's NIV Audio Bible. As an author, several of his children's book series and adult novels have made the bestseller list. End quote. Now let us head into the incredible worlds of Bill Myers. 
Bill, it's great to have you here. I've been a big fan of your work going back quite a few years. So uh, like I've said before, I think it was like my, my 12 to 15 year old self right now and beyond is very excited. Uh, from back to back, we get to have our conversation right now. And I'm excited, too, because I'm I'm still the same person, part of a child, mind of a grown-ish adult. How are you? That's how I make my living is with a childish mind. There we go. There we go. It's uh, Well, it's a childish, uh, childish heart, and you know, Christ encouraged that kind of spirit uh, as well as uh, seeking out uh, that kind of maturity. So I have enjoyed many of your work, uh, not just the, the kids' books like the Wally McDougall series, uh, but plenty of your grown-up novels as well. And then you've also been active in TV and uh, some even some audio drama as well. So depending on your time, we're going to cover all of that. But first, I would love to ask you how you discovered both biblical faith and fantastical stories, imagination, and all that good stuff. Well, the the biblical stuff, you know, some I, I actually think maybe uh, some of that is just hardwired into me. I, for some reason, uh, in junior high, fell in love with reading the New Testament, which was, you know, kind of embarrassing with the guys. You know, they're busy hiding their Playboy under the mattress, and I'm busy hiding the Bible so I won't get busted reading about Jesus. But I just thought Jesus was so cool, and uh, I just kind of devoured the New Testament in middle school, of all things. Also, I grew up in the mountains. Closest town was about seven, eight miles away. So I had plenty of time to wander in the forests and just uh, you know, just be thinking about what I'd read. So most of it was Holy Spirit taught, I guess. Didn't probably attend a church six or seven times in my childhood. The weird thing is, seminaries ask me to guest lecture, and it's like, well, tell us about your degrees. Uh, well, I, I, I got a degree in, in, in filmmaking, mm-hmm. and they'll slip me an honorary doctorate under the table so I can, <laughs> so I can teach, <laughs> so I can teach Bible. Seriously, I got, I got some of those on my wall just to impress nobody. As far as fantasy, I don't, I, I don't know. I think. We live in a very materialistic world. Everything at this moment in our culture, can they tr- we try to define it through cause and effect, material rationality. Well, that's not the world that God lives in. It's certainly not the world the Bible's written in. So it's not that difficult to just use the same imagination to envision God playing outside the box to creating a fantasy that, again, breaks a materialistic sort of wor- uh, rule. Well, that is exactly where we live. Uh, we don't view that as heresy, just so you know. Uh, we view that as orthodoxy. <laughs> and folks who disbelieve in that or doubt that or think that uh, God only works according to the the things we can see and touch around us, uh, or uh, the folks who believe that God only works out there in some spiritual dimension where we can't see him, you know, the, the distant watchmaker, uh, the distant creator type thing, you know, either one of those are at best uh, or, or at worst. Uh, confused and and yet we do see a fantastical truth in Lorehaven we see that uh, God is both rational thought and fantastic imagination and both of those go back to Genesis 1 can you remember any specific stories like uh, fantastical or otherwise that you grew up enjoying after getting into the new testament uh, in in those middle grades by the time i graduated college for pleasure i probably read 3 books 
and oddly enough, had probably seen uh, before I entered college, had seen about three movies. No, I, nothing, <laughs> nothing inspired me because I didn't know it was out there, which is very strange. Uh, circling back to what you were saying, I love um, in my lectures uh, sometimes to point out that physicists today believe we live in a a total of 93% or 96% of the world around us is made of dark matter and dark energy. We mm -hmm. call it that because we don't know what it is. So when my friends say, I can only believe in what I can touch, see, smell, and hear, I say, congratulations. You believe in 4% of reality. Uh, and if it's okay with you, I'd like to go for the whole, the whole Megillah, uh, including the other 22 dimensions that our super string theory friends talk about. Oh, exactly. Uh, we, we had, uh, not too long ago, uh, Zach and I had an episode of the podcast where we dared to venture into the whole UFO territory as well. And, uh, you can get into course, some really dark stuff there, even some occult stuff there, uh, which scripture frowns upon, but at the same time, it does awaken the imagination to that idea that there are some things that are not explained. There is a reality out there that even if we can't see or touch or experience it with our five senses, it is nonetheless just as real uh, as the as the physical world that God has made. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I did um, when I was doing the Forbidden Door series. One of the perks on that was getting a chance to interview everybody, and I I interviewed some UFO abductees and, and spent some time in that because one of the books deals with UFOs. And it was amazing. You could simply exchange the word alien for demon uh, as far as the different things that were going on and, and the, the pieces fit perfectly. I loved what, what one physicist said. He said, uh, he doesn't believe we're dealing with extra terrestrial characters, but we're dealing with extra dimensional which mm -hmm. again puts us right back into a Bible and and a supernatural world of angels and demons. Oh yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if we find out that some of those were some kind of a scheme going on. So I'm going to try to segue here uh, because I think the first time I was exposed to your work uh, was the the Christian uh, VHS and then the later DVD uh, series. Uh, even go back to the 1980s, uh, McGee and Me. Speaking <laughs> of imaginary creatures. Uh, there's a little uh, little guy that uh, Nicholas draws comes to life from his notepad and then interacts with the real world and kind of acting like a, a conscience type figure as Nicholas tries to uh, work his way through grade school and his family and friends and the world around him. What was uh, I'm just curious if you could briefly touch on uh, your role with that and just any any observations. I'm sure some of our listeners now would have uh, would have grown up with that, you know, gracing the shelves at their TV cabinet at home, or maybe even their Sunday school class. Yeah, for those of you in the nursing home audience, we'll be happy to talk about that. It, <laughs> selling the series was a trip. Uh, Focus on the family was our uh, was one of our executive producers, and uh, I'll never forget uh, going up to the boardroom of Focus on the Family and sitting at this long board. And all of the uh, uh, board of directors or department heads or something were all sitting there. And they, they've turned to me, and the head guy says, Bill, we just have one question. I said, well, what's that? He said, is McGee an angel or a demon? <laughs> and I remember, oh, boy. Oh, boy. We're, we're okay. And I remember staring down at the table, saying a quick prayer. It was like, help me. Did you ask McGee? 
did you ask your McGee what to do? <laughs> no, I didn't stop it. No, no. But it dawned on me, wait a minute, I'm in a shrink's ministry. Uh, so I looked up and I boldly lied into their faces and said, well, he's neither, gentlemen. He's the boys, here it comes, alter ego. And because I use a psychological term, I believe they all nodded and went, oh, well, yes, uh, of course. All right. That, that's good then. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, so that... <laughs> That's how I sold McGee and me to a very uh, loving but conservative uh, backer was to uh, to play a psychological card, which made no sense at all to me, but uh, it worked. So, it's still working because I listen to it now and I think, oh, that that works, you know, or or projection of his imagination or it's just yeah. fantasy is how I read it now. But believe it or not, when I was growing up, there were some whispers about McGee and me. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. There's this little creature that comes to life and only Nicholas can interact with him. That oh, is wow. sounds suspicious to me. Nonetheless, we got uh, plenty of McGee and me uh, tapes on our shelves eventually and, and definitely enjoyed those. Yeah, it, it, it is funny. We God, you either have to be in box A or box B. And God's going, gee, I kind of like being out here in infinity, if that's okay with you guys. So it can be something other than the shoulder angel on uh, on Kronk's <laughs> shoulder from the Emperor's New Groove. Don't listen to that guy, uh, or the or the shoulder shoulder devil, really. <laughs> yeah, no, I I remember uh, Frank Preddy and I are uh, were friends before he was Frank Preddy. I was writing a lot of uh, documentary films, and he'd come over to the house and say, "Jay Bell, what's it like to be a writer?" So we used to, we hung out together. And when McGee and me broke about the same time his This Present Darkness broke, you know, we would call up and exchange notes because we were both getting a little bit of heat for that very reason. Mm -hmm. you know, if something honors God, he'll, he'll use it uh, in spite of us. Amen. Uh, we, we had a discussion about Peretti uh, several episodes ago as well and uh, exploring how uh, for a generation of Christians— uh, Peretti ended up defining the uh, the speculation about angels and demons and spiritual warfare. So mm -hmm. whatever the early concerns were, I don't remember them. I wasn't keeping track back then, but I, I think they've been pretty well subsumed. And I also see plenty of progress in um, in some Christian communities in beginning to accept uh, not only the fact that fantasy is there and it's hugely popular and hugely effective, uh, but the fact that it can be uh, defended and uh, even enjoyed biblically. You have also uh, in your uh, in your novels uh, for uh, more for older readers. I mean, we'll switch back. Obviously, we're going to talk about Wally McDougall and his friends in a bit here. Uh, but in addition to the the fantasies for younger readers, uh, you have these uh, more speculative uh, novels for older readers. So, what can you share about you know, getting into a kind of a different take on the two witnesses and uh, even the the Shroud of Turin uh, with the with the blood sample on it and some of those really awesome ideas uh, when you were writing those books. Boy, I, I hate to get caught sounding sanctimonious, but all of my ideas, Stephen, come from uh, an inordinate amount of time in prayer. Mm. I hang out with, with the Lord a lot, and I just keep a notebook in, in the back of my pocket and jot stuff down. My stuff, whether it's for the kids or for the adults— yeah, it has a high degree of entertainment, but that is just the candy coating to get the medicine down. And, and every book uh, is designed to explore some element of God and draw the reader closer to his heart 
uh, without ever feeling they're being preached at. Mm-hmm. So, I, so the answer in each of those cases is it's just, uh, in fact, it happened this morning. I have a scene I have to write when we're done here. And I was clueless. I had no idea where to go with it. And I'm busy studying scripture and trying to have some prayer time. And the answer comes flooding in. <laughs> I've learned not to go, no, no, God, be quiet. I'm trying to worship you. Uh, I'm letting the stuff uh, come in, and then I write down the ideas, and then we get back down to worshiping God my way instead of His way. But yeah, everything, everything uh, comes from my desire to glorify God and to draw the reader closer to Him. End of church. Sorry. No, the church is also where we live here. It's it's a church. It's a library. Uh, it's a, uh, it's a rest, you know, whatever we need this, uh, podcast to be, we, we will totally go to church. I mean, we did a three part series about creativity and resurrection in the new heavens and new earth. And it was basically a sermon series in podcast form. You mentioned, or, or I think you mentioned Eli, which is, oh yes, I still get emails. I get a lot of emails. You can imagine a fan sort of mail, but the ones I keep are the ones that say, and this is the case with Eli. I've been a Christian my whole life, and now I finally get it. Come on, if mm. you know those, those are worth gold. And Eli, I remember I was sitting in a church, and the pastor was presenting the gospel, and I'm glancing at my watch, wondering if I'm going to get home in time to watch the football game. And I'm thinking, Myers, what is wrong with you? It's like I'd heard it, the gospel, so many times. The greatest story in the universe and i'm bored with it what is with you so um it's kind of like saying toy boat too many times pretty soon it lost its meaning so that's when i started eli which is a retelling of the entire gospel as if it happened today uh you know from his birth in the back of a motel six laundry room to the blue collar uh dudes following him in a winnebago across the country to his lynching in the Bible Belt. Mm. Uh, and all of that, again, was just to explore God and hopefully draw the reader into wanting to come deeper to him, to explore with me and maybe fall more deeply in love and awe with uh, with God. No, oh, it was a it was a good story, and I, I I it's been a while since I've read it, but I, I I mean I got my hand on it right here, so maybe someday I can get that thing uh, autographed. So I mean, you, you're versatile in not only the uh, the kids' books, I mean also the the grown up uh, uh, speculative novels. I did though, I was super surprised because I was uh, getting into the or actually been a few years into the uh, Wally McDougal uh, series. And then I heard your voice at the end of an Adventures in Odyssey episode that introduced a new family <laughs> called the Mulligans. And then I thought about it. I thought about it. I realized, oh, that, you know, there was that one joke about the cleaning out the cat box. And that's kind of a Wally McDougal type <laughs> joke. And, oh, OK. So it's the, it's, it's the same guy. I'm so glad he's working for Adventures in Odyssey, my other big fandom there. And you should know this, too. The Mulligans and their approach to doing ministry. Uh, you actually played uh, Mike Mulligan, as I recall. Uh, and then uh, Tracy Mulligan was played by, I forget her name, but the actress from McGee and Me. Very good. You did your homework. Yeah. I, I ended up being a voice 
actor nerd thanks to Adventures in Odyssey. And now I can even pick out different voices when I'm watching anime in the original <laughs> language. So totally useless superpower. <laughs> but uh, I remember a conversation that Mike and Tracy Mulligan had in one of those early episodes uh, with the family where they were talking about, I think it was uh, grandparents or rather one of their parents who had died and his lament at the end of his life that he had wasted his life. And so they had decided that they were going to just try to do what you were just saying is keep an ear out for opportunities, even crazy ministry opportunities in order to serve the Lord. Whether that means uh, taking in this uh, kind of a raw edged uh, kid from the city named Nick, uh, another Nick, uh, or taking in a whole zoo full of animals. Man, I remember all of this. Or, and this is the relevant part, they actually, um, I think it was like a foster type situation, right? Where they took in two, uh, two teenage girls who were twins. They're not twins, but my wife and I are literally doing something similar. Like, I think it's next week or the week after that. And I think a big reason why we were open to that is because of the Mulligan wow. family's testimony. Wow. So I just have you to thank for that because like, I, I didn't even know that that imagination will just sneak <laughs> into your heart, you know? And I, I didn't even know that I had that in the back of my head as, as, as one of those little influences that uh, really, really affects uh, someone's life in real life wow. going forward. Well, uh, you know, and that's reverse engineering. Uh, I was, uh, we were talking about the fact that I'd seen three movies <clears throat> by the time I started college. I'd seen uh, Pollyanna, I'd seen The Parent Trap, and I'd seen Pinocchio. And now I'm, I made a promise to the Lord <clears throat> that I would always say yes to him at about 18. Mm -hmm. Always, mm -hmm. regardless of how uninformed he was about the situation, regardless of how unqualified I am, if I was certain it was him, or reasonably certain, I would always say yes. Well, you can get away with that when you're 18, because, you know, uh, you're 18. And I made that promise, and I've kept it ever since. Uh, six weeks after I made that promise, I saw the fourth movie of my life, The Godfather. Mm. Mm. That's a bit different from those first oh, three you named. <laughs> man. And, you know, I, my whole life I wanted to be a dentist. That's what I was getting ready to be. My friends stood up and cheered at the end when people were getting massacred. And I walked out of that theater just numb. And I remember telling God, just giving God a good piece of my mind, telling him he should wake up because there's power in storytelling. And, and you know what you should do? And, and thanks for asking, God. You need to raise up storytellers. Did you see how involved the guys were with mm -hmm. story? Man, if, if you could do that for you or for good. Oh, no, this is hot, God. Listen, if you could do that for yourself. That would be incredible. And every time I told God what he had to do, it bounced back at me. Uh, and after about six weeks of arguing, I finally said, okay, fine, I'll be a movie, uh, whatever they're called, and uh, changed my, my major to filmmaking. Didn't even know how to watch a movie, uh, let alone make one. But so it's so that uh, just say yes that you talked about in the mulligans is, is reverse mm -hmm. engineering of, of a, a commitment I made decades ago. And he's taken me places I never dreamed possible. I got C's and D's in my one writing class in college. I knew wow. that was one, one thing I was not qualified to do. And again, I made that very clear to him. So don't blame me. And on down the line. It's, it's just an astonishing, not always easy, but just an astonishing journey. I look at peers that I love and respect. I've lived three to four times their life uh, just by this crazy 
bet or promise that I made to God to say yes, even when it didn't make sense. Well, that doesn't surprise me at all to learn that that was that personal. There is something about that episode. In fact, I think if I remember right, the title of the first Mulligan Family episode was Just Say Yes. Yes, uh, it is. It sounds like that may have been an, an original title there and not something they changed in the in the writer's room. That's just my guess there, but that is not at all surprising. And, and neither is the uh, sudden exposure to The Godfather after only watching the uh, the Disney movies. I seem to recall that Nick and McGee and me also ended up watching a movie that he shouldn't called the night of the blood freaks. So as a filmmaker, you get to make those uh, make movies about movies and, uh, you know, starting us off on that journey of biblical discernment. And my first book is actually about parenting and popular culture with two co-authors. So I imagine that story there with McGee and me is also in my DNA. So behold again, the power of truth applied in imagination. Yeah. I'm glad that book's out there. I, I have a, a media rant I do sometimes. And one of the things I uncovered was that according to J.L. Singer at Yale University, I can change the outlook on any morality if you watch enough of my programming. Oh, yes. Uh, And that's chilling when the mandates that we're getting from uh, Netflix and from some of the other people about what they uh, are demanding demanding now to see in the shows. They just have no idea. It's better to have a millstone tied around their neck than the mm-hmm. sort of stuff that's that's being uh, forced down the throats of the public. Oh yeah. Well, we thought that it was bad in the '80s, and I'm sure there was a lot of other stuff. You know, in the in the '80s and '90s, when at least that's when I was first exposed to the the Christian ministry materials about discernment and such. And and I'm sure it was pretty bad, but apparently we ain't seen nothing yet. So uh, to me, that leaves open the door for Christian creators to not just build their stories for audiences of all ages on biblical truth, but to have fun doing it. Because now I see a way clear when, when secular storytellers, you know, for all the common graces that they have in their stories still, uh, they're also putting in all these mandates and you have to say this, and you have to use this language and you have to have this kind of character and all just rules, rules, rules. And I thought it was the Christian stuff that was all, all, all about the rules and you can't have fun or you can't uh, you know, recreate or enjoy things. But now I look back on a lot of the stories that I grew up with, whether it's Adventures in Odyssey or McGee and Me or any of those. And I think, okay, I learned a lot and you know, I still learned a lot and it got into my DNA, but also those were just fun. They were well-made and well-acted, well-produced and fun stuff. And of course, now we come to your series, the the Wally McDougal series, uh, the incredible worlds of Wally McDougal. I can I can see the font in my head, the the original covers, <laughs> and I, I really now it's it's been re released, and so that's a big reason why we got to talk today because they're putting new covers on it and uh, kind of giving it a facelift for a new generation of readers. Uh, but the originals, I think you said they're they're still in print, and and you wrote several dozen of those about this uh, 12-year-old boy named Wally McDougal, and I can let you finish it, uh, but he is a dorkoid, and he's a writer, and he gets in all these amazing adventures, either real life on steroids or even some mad science, uh, some more overt fantasy scenarios in some of the later books, as I remember. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, they're, they're fun. They're, abs- they're flat-out fun. Yeah, Wally is a sixth grade uh, walking disaster area, an all school punching bag. Uh, and uh, 
his only escape is sort of a Walter Mitty thing. If he if he survives seventh grade, he wants to be a screenwriter. So we have the day to day catastrophe of his life, and then four or five times per story, he escapes into a superhero story that he's writing. Each uh, each of the twenty eight books has a different superhero story that he escapes into. Sometimes he's mutant man McDougal. Other times he's Hydro Dude or or uh, Veggie Man, and it just it just <laughs> goes on and on and on. But uh, t- those are the most uh, I think exhilarating things that I've written, where I j- could just hardly wait to get back to the desk and and have more fun with him. And uh, believe it or not, it was impossible to sell. I was getting it. Well, you know this. He's a boy. I said, yeah, good. Good, good for you figuring that one out. They said, no, 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 no. Uh, only girls read books. And uh, to, uh, nobody, uh, you can't have a lead character being a boy. Well, it just come off of McGee and me. And it's like, uh, excuse me. But they were the experts. And they said, no, 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 no. Uh, it has to be a girl. So I could not sell that series. I still have a contract that I keep in my files for a joke where one publisher uh, sent me a contract. And said, we just want to change the concept a little bit. I said, what's that? They said, let's call it the incredible worlds of Wally and Molly McDougal so you can get all the girl stuff in. It's just like, no, come on. Well, they said, boys don't read. Why don't boys read? Uh, Because they don't read. No, that's circular logic. How about boys don't read because nobody writes for boys? How many ballet Mm. and horse stories is a guy going to sit down and read, you know, when he could go out and hit a baseball somewhere? There was only one publisher at the very end of the line that thought maybe a story about a boy might be successful. And it was. And as a former and current boy, because those don't change, I hear tell, I'm very grateful uh, that you persisted with that. And I, I don't imagine I, I would have read this series or recommended them to everybody uh, if it had a honestly a kind of a cumbersome title there wally and molly me to go wasn't that his sister i thought he had his <laughs> sister <laughs> bring yeah. her into things more and at one point he did end up as a blundering ballerina so there you go yeah. tapping into that uh very supportive female demographic <laughs> there you go you mentioned the exhilaration of writing those books well they were exhilarating to read too uh those were uh you know the, the salted peanuts of books you just you can't eat just one uh oh, you had to go back to the bookstore and, and get the others. And you're, you're cranking them out there for a while. How, how many books are there in the series now? Well, it's, uh, there, for there's, there are 28 in the series. Okay. Uh, and they are still jumping off the shelves. We're at 2.2, 2.3 million books. Uh, and I get some of my, my, my most favorite emails uh, from the guys on that series is they're not even written this. When I get a letter, it's more like it's carved into the paper. Mr. Myers, I don't read much. When's your next book coming out? Your best pal, <laughs> Gus. Well, and I wonder how many writers you've inspired too, because Wally does want to be a screenwriter. And so you've got that little meta text there. But some of the books at first, you know, I would read them just for the superhero stories, you know, because they are just <laughs> so funny. And, and this was even before superheroes were as much of a phenomenon as they are now. So you were, you were ahead of the time there and now everybody wants to do a superhero parody. Yeah. As I remember, there's a villain gravity guy. There was like floss man. I mean, you're, you're going to reach in there toward the end and use oh, up all yeah. the superpowers Den- that you had used dental, already. Dental floss man. Yeah. I okay. Him. That's right. 
<laughs> I forget if he was a good guy or a bad guy though, but no. And, and then, you know, I mean, it wasn't just fun because, you know, of course, Wally and his friends would, would learn valuable life lessons by the end, uh, but not just the usual ones. Uh, you know, even the first one there, uh, my life was a smash burrito with extra hot sauce. There's a very different take on bullying as Wally goes to summer camp and ends up in kind of a all out war with Gary, the gorilla until the camp counselor uh, puts a stop to it. Not a whole lot of spoilers there, but it was just, it was, it was a different take on some of these usual uh, values that you would get from uh, even uh, middle grade fiction, whether or not it's uh, you know, made uh, by a Christian or published by a Christian publisher. And then the one that sticks with me the most is, I forget the title, but it's the one where his family goes to California and they meet his uncle Max, who is this amazing, shiny uh, stunt performer in movies. And Wally starts to feel like, why, why can't my boring dad you know, be as glamorous as uh, Uncle Max, who is a stand-in for Arnold Swizzlenoggin or something like that? Yeah. Uh, and even in like uh, hundreds and hundreds of Odyssey episodes, I can't remember that they had explored a theme like that. And that stuck in my head, and it was super helpful as I remember. So, Well, that's encouraging. I appreciate that, Stephen. Yeah, the, the trick is to make the candy coating so thick and, and tasty that you don't taste the medicine going down. Uh, but mm -hmm. there's definitely everything I write, as we said earlier, is is to draw the reader closer to Christ. Oh, that's fantastic. So I need to uh, make sure that our listeners know where they can find these books, because as we mentioned, uh, they are being repackaged. They're given uh, different kinds of covers, uh, still the same names, as I recall, but has anything else changed with those books? And where can people find those <laughs> and order them yeah. by the truckload? Yeah, we've. I did go back and, and rework a few things. They no longer use a Sony Walkman. Oh, I remember, that's right. Does Wally get a tablet this time rather than old Bessie his uh, his laptop computer? Yeah. So we we made a few changes, uh, as you can imagine. You know, I I would just hit Amazon or or a bookstore, and or my website and just uh, you know order them from there. Yeah, my website's uh, BillMyers dot com. M-Y-E-R-S, yeah. There we go. So if you are a dorkoid or are sympathetic to the dorkoid cause or your kids feel a little socially awkward, a little creative, uh, <laughs> even if they don't have best friends, Opera and Wall Street, not their real names, I think you're really going to enjoy this series. for. for or or if you have a, a boy that's a reluctant reader, that uh, seems to have a real, sucks them into reading whether they like it or not. Oh, yes. I was not a reluctant reader, but I mean, then how much more so could I enjoy a series like this? Uh, I was finding comedy writing at the time. Uh, so it was you and actually uh, Dave Barry were like the top, <laughs> remain the top comedy writers for me at the time. Different genres there, but uh, those two have gone into my creative DNA. Hmm. Any, other, uh, any other questions that you would like to have been asked uh, before we wrap up here and, uh, and uh, finish out this episode? Well, we're we're getting ready uh, this fall to release a movie, so it's a kids' film. I guess you can tell that by the title: Secret Agent Dingledorf and His Trusty Dog Splat. Yes, please. <laughs> it's a kids' movie that uh, our film company is releasing uh, probably this winter or fall. So that'd be great if you could keep your eyes open for that, because if it's successful, that means we can do uh, more crazy things with a message. Where can folks find well, more information on that? Is, is it coming to streaming or are we copying discs for it? Or how is that going to be released? Oh, that's a good question. We're, we're with the COVID thing right now. We were hoping for you know, a theatrical release. 
now we're talking to the streaming channels. Uh, we haven't locked in on a, a particular platform yet, but the, yeah, just keep your eyes open for the <laughs> for the title or go to my website, sign up for my newsletter. The good news is I hate writing newsletters, so you'd only get <laughs> one or two a year, but that would keep you up to date on, on what we're doing with uh, Secret Agent Dingledorf. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, anyone is welcome to go to billmyers.com, uh, get that sign up in there and uh, keep track of that information. And uh, just really appreciate your uh, your heart for creativity and truth and your willingness to, for all those years, just say yes to God. I think that has benefited many, many, many thousands of readers, including my very happy self. So thank you, sir. Oh, thank you, Stephen. I'm glad you're out there doing what you do. I appreciate it. Okay, well, our thanks to Bill Myers for coming on Fantastical Truth, and we are really looking forward to his movie coming out, Secret Agent Dingledorf and his trusty dog, Splat. Now, Stephen, I got to say, uh, all these books sound like the perfect thing for my 10-year-old daughter. She is a huge fan of Calvin and Hobbes, Farside. She loves just all this wacky humor, so I think I'm going to have to get uh, some of Bill Myers' books for her. But let's go into our fantastic fans. And pull out the mailbag. And our first letter here is from Elizabeth. And she wrote us about episode 22, the one with the UFOs. She says, quote, my husband and I were having a similar discussion after watching the Unsolved Mysteries episode about the alien encounter. They had multiple personal accounts. And we wondered, as a person of faith, how do you reconcile that? These people sound so convinced in what they experienced, and they have nothing to gain by sharing those experiences. Rather, quite a lot to lose, including lifelong ridicule. And then your podcast mentioned something similar about military personnel. But it was when you were discussing the nukes being turned off and what if aliens were trying to save us. I immediately thought of the day the Earth stood still and John Carpenter's purpose visiting Earth. Just an overall great discussion covering lots of different perspectives and theories. I know my husband will enjoy this as well. End quote. Thank you, Elizabeth. That episode was such a labor of love. You know, again, I'm, I'm a huge fan of UFOs, but in uh, these kind of stories, I love the X-Men. I love Men in Black. I, I love just everything connected to this topic. But you're right. I mean, it is a very stigmatizing topic when you try to take it seriously. And we saw that just recently with the New York Times. They released a new article about a supposed crash retrieval program. They sort of buried the lead about that. And then they had to walk back a quote from Harry Reid, former senator and majority leader Harry Reid. They had quoted him as saying that, you know, there are definitely materials from crash UFOs that are being studied by a private aerospace corporation. And then they had to uh, retract that by saying, well, he said there might be and they should be studied. And he came on Twitter and said, look, I don't really believe in little green men. I just think we should pursue the science. And keep investigating. So it's just very interesting. And that was one of actually a few retractions, Stephen, that happened. The other ones were a little more technical, but you know, this is, Hey, this is in the news again. This is on the, not the front page of New York times, but the New York times influences so many other outlets. It's unfortunate that these quotes that were retracted then got reprinted. And now that's causing a whole lot of, uh, just confusion with this topic, but what are they trying to hide? <laughs> I say that was somewhat tongue in cheek, but I will admit that <laughs> quote about what is it? Things not built on this earth uh, from, I guess it was the original version. Like that caught my attention. 
that made me go, yeah. oh man, like, I mean, okay, it's the New York Times and say what you will about them, their recent decay and such, but still, uh, if they're going to go here into this supposedly crazy territory, that makes me sit up and take close attention for sure. Yeah. Now there is one solid thing that we can all uh, study together, which is that the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, which is led by uh, Senator Marco Rubio and also Senator Mark Warner, Republican and Democrat, they have come together with this bipartisan language to get the Pentagon to produce a public report about their UAP or unidentified aerial phenomenon UFO task force. And so six months from whenever this gets signed, we're all going to get a public report about their best assessment of what these things are, whether they're from a foreign country or if they're a hologram of some kind or a weather phenomenon or something else, something not of this world. We don't know what their assessment is, but supposedly we are going to get a public report about that. So that's going to be really interesting. Uh, we're we're going to keep our eye on that and maybe report back later. But um, anyway, our thanks to you, Elizabeth, for writing in, and I'm glad you enjoyed the discussion. Yes, this is definitely a topic that brings up a lot of questions of faith, and that's that's what gives me a passion for it. Is that I want to get ahead of this topic, not kind of get sideswiped by it, and you know all these mythologies that go along with it, challenging our faith and kind of dragging us into a lot of things. So we we want to think biblically about this very much. So so we hope you. Uh, you and your husband enjoy that discussion. Stephen, we got something else here on the mailbag from our YouTube channel. You want to dive into that? Next, we have a comment from some straight white Christian conservative man, and uh, that is actually his label for himself, straight white Christian conservative man. Hope that fits onto the birth certificate. Uh, this person wrote in a, a comment on our Lorehaven channel and YouTube, actually, regarding episode 14, which is part of our series about epic resurrection, specifically the new heavens and new earth and the promises in scripture about our physical resurrection bodies uh, that are like Christ's physical resurrection body uh, and the physical planet that is heaven and earth unified uh, that is promised in scripture, especially Revelation 21. Uh, this commentator sees it a little bit differently, and I would call this a critical quote because he says, quote, please read carefully. The new heavens and new earth is spiritual, not physical. It represents the new covenant that began at the crucifixion of Christ and was officially established at the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70, which was prophesied by Jesus himself. The resurrection is also spiritual. It occurs at the twinkling of an eye when people surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, proclaiming him as their Lord and Savior, saved through faith by his grace, serving with humility and love. Revelation is the most misinterpreted book in the Bible by far. The end of the age was the end of the old covenant and the beginning of the new covenant, the new heavens and earth. Please be skeptical, not only about preterism, but also about what you've been taught to believe, that is, futurism. I'm concerned for Christians like you. However, I'm also filled with love knowing that God has blessed us with people like you too. I will continue to pray for this podcast and to watch your podcast videos because I know God is using both of you to shed his light and grace upon others through the lens of fantastical literature. In the meantime, please check out this website for more information. And he gives a plug and then finishes by saying, thank you for the shout out. God bless this podcast and God bless America, end quote. Oh, there's so much in there I agree with. And of course, there's stuff I disagree with for sure. And yet the part I appreciate the most is just the spirit of the thing. Thank you, SWCCM, for that uh, response. Uh, I'm not a preterist uh, myself. There's many different types of degrees of preterism. And of course, preterist means that you focus more on the possible fulfillment of prophecies in, uh, in AD 70 with the invasion of Jerusalem 
and a lot of the uh, the working out of that uh, ending of one age and the beginning of the church age as uh, the Old Testament was finally coming to a close and giving way toward that uh, that new covenant era. Uh, if you go for the covenant division, uh, there's other Christians who have different ways to break that down. I would agree that Revelation gets misinterpreted a lot, uh, but I would disagree that we are approaching the new heavens and new earth from that standpoint of futurism. Uh, that is, we read all the prophecies in Revelation and just assume that they are to come uh, as opposed to being fulfilled. I think that most Christians of goodwill believe that Revelation 21 is not just talking in spiritual language about salvation any more than the Apostle Paul is talking in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection. He is moving to that next stage of salvation. And we break that down in the podcast, those three parts there, and reference a lot of materials that also break this down. God has created a physical world, and that physical world has fallen physically uh, just as humans have fallen spiritually. Uh, the Bible is concerned with getting us restored spiritually and then bringing that restoration out into the physical world. If we make everything about salvation, then we are ignoring the original goodness of God's material world and the purpose for which he created it as the means, as the place where we glorify God and enjoy him forever. Are we going to just focus on the salvation, uh, pray the prayer, get saved, to become like Jesus, and then stop? at working that out in the physical world. Scripture doesn't, and I don't think we should either. Uh, the Apostle Paul does promise that resurrection is our future inheritance. Jesus's resurrection was spiritual and physical, and it says that we are going to be like him in some way. That's just not just a nickname. It's not just a bunch of literary symbolism to describe salvation all over again. It is that next stage of God's redemptive work in the universe. Now, I'm not speaking against preterism. Uh, I think there's a lot to be said about the idea that uh, many of those prophecies were fulfilled in some way uh, in AD 70. And a lot of people who would call themselves preterists will not take that all the way and say that we're actually living in the, quote, new heavens and new earth, end quote, now. There are many podcasts and resources I've heard from people who believe in preterism that don't take it as far as this. And this isn't a uh, end times eschatology uh, apologetics podcast. So I would just point you in their direction and let you know that, hey, there's some folks on your side, I think, uh, who might disagree with you here uh, when you're uh, turning the new heavens and new earth into uh, just a spiritual symbols. Uh, by all means, disregard that uh, over-reliance on saying that uh, if it's a prophecy in scripture, uh, then that means it's something to come. It's definitely all about us. And, you know, the, uh, the demon locusts are actually Russian helicopters <laughs> or whatever it was Hal Lindsey said back in the 70s. Uh, yeah, calibrate, keep going, keep going. There's definitely more to be said about the covenants in Scripture than many Christians will recognize, but Christ's redemption will be physical in the future, no less than our spiritual resurrection at uh, the moment of salvation, but it is more than that. The redemption echoes out into the world, and I think when Christ is promising that the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea, I do take that literally. But Overall, Zach, listeners, I really like the spirit of this comment. Preterists, mm -hmm. as like other folks who discover you know, a new and uh, under, a misunderstood idea, uh, they can get kind of mean. And this comment isn't mean. I just no, I really appreciate the spirit yeah. of the comment here. Like I call it critical, but it's the best kind of criticism. Right. This could be way worse. God's blessings to you as well, brother. Uh, just make sure, uh, write down your name and anything else, and make sure you keep that in Christ-like love. You know, I, I didn't feel trolled at all. 
And I think that uh, you're going to get pretty far in understanding and communicating your ideas if you are preserving that spirit of Christ-like love and presumed acceptance. And I will see you, my friend, after the physical, literal resurrection of the body, not just the spiritual resurrection of the soul. Well, I, I, you know, not to get too mushy here, but I, I think this, uh, this conversation between you and this gentleman is a really good example of how Jesus said, by this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. You know, that is the hallmark. That is the true hallmark of Christianity. It's not what we think. It's not how we think or interpret revelation or, or other things in the Bible. It, it's how we love one another, even in our differences. And so to you, our listener, if there's something you disagree with and you just want to speak the truth and love to us, by all means, like this, this podcast is a, is a listener podcast. So it, it's meant for engagement. And so we, we want to hear your feedback. And I think this was a great example of someone just kind of putting a stake in the ground saying, look, this is the view I have. I would hope you would have this view too. And here's my persuasion. And then Stephen, you kind of uh, responded to that, but Hey, this is all in love. At the end of the day, this is a podcast about fantastical stories. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to dive into all these other side issues and, and I'm sure there's a million takes on UFOs and other things. And that's great. Uh, so let's, let's talk about it. Let's have fun with it. That's uh, the, really the spirit of the show that we, we should have fun while talking about this stuff and, and enjoy the conversations wherever we land on some of these doctrines and not that doctrines are unimportant, but the most important thing in my opinion is Christian unity and Christian love. So, so our, our thanks again to our listeners. Uh, we'd like to give a regional shout out now to our listeners in Mexico, Mexico. We know from our statistics that we've got quite a number of listeners down in Mexico. So if you are one of our listeners there, uh, first of all, that's awesome. Like we, we love that our podcast is going across the border and we would love to hear from you. What's been your favorite episode so far? What, how did you discover fantastical stories? What's your feedback on one of these topics we've talked about? Please send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com or you can comment on one of the podcast pages or on our YouTube page. So please send us your thoughts. Next on Fantastical Truth, unless the aliens arrive or Jesus returns spiritually, uh, we're going to explore the genre of biblical fiction, uh, specifically because as we record this in the past week, uh, they finally announced that we are getting season two of The Chosen. And maybe you've heard about The Chosen. Uh, they announced uh, in July 2020 that they will start filming season two this fall after a very successful debut of season one. Uh, this is a biblical drama series, a streaming drama, not a movie, uh, not a book, uh, but it's a, it's a TV series. Uh, you can get it on the app of thechosen.tv and from, what is it? It's VidAngel. Yeah, it's VidAngel, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. It's from yep. creator Dallas Jenkins uh, and explores the life of Jesus through the eyes of those who knew him best, his followers. Uh, season one introduced uh, the biblical fictional versions of Mary Magdalene and Peter and Andrew and Matthew and the rest. And it's taken the world by storm as it should, because it's, it's really good. Yeah. This is probably the best biblical fiction I've seen. And it is among the best all time, specifically Christian made fiction. We have seen fantastical. I say yes, uh, because Jesus is in there and he is working miracles. And yet in that quiet blink and you'll miss it style, you know, for those who have eyes to see, it is so good and lots of great fiction, but all designed to uphold the narrative that we're given in scripture. How come we say it's so good? And what are the unique challenges of biblical fiction as a genre in particular? In our next episode, Lord willing, we will explore that. Until then, referring back to William McDougall, whether you have gotten shrunk or you've been made invisible 
or just wonder why your dad is so boring, unlike your famous uncle who's a Hollywood stuntman, bloom where you are planted, stay humble, learn your moral lessons in the wacky worlds, and keep those superhero stories crazy as we continue to seek and find fantastical truth. 